0: Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Remember, if you have to step away from your radio for any reason, headed into work or just headed off to do something else, you don't have to be left out of the conversation here on Detroit Today. Just go to iTunes or wherever it is you download podcasts, download and subscribe to Detroit Today, and you can take us with you and listen to us whenever you like. Politics and celebrity are not natural bedfellows in America, but they are also not terribly estranged. They're both about personality, and they are both about power. President Trump, an entertainer who had never held political office before winning a seat in the Oval Office, has probably changed the discussion about politics and celebrity forever. And maybe, just maybe, we're seeing some of that unfold this week.
1: The new day is on the horizon.
2: And when that new day finally dawns, it will be
1: because of a lot of magnificent women, many of whom are right here in this room tonight, and some pretty phenomenal men fighting hard to make sure that they become the leaders
3: who take us to the time when nobody ever has to say Me Too again. Thank
2: you.
0: When Oprah Winfrey delivered this moving speech about sexual harassment and power at the Golden Globes last Sunday, one of the instant responses was a very loud discussion about whether she might run for president. It's been written about in every serious publication that covers politics, and even the vaunted Rasmussen poll took measure of her chances against Trump, finding that she had a 10-point advantage three full years before the next election. So, what does all of this say about American politics? Has there been a more dramatic marrying of the whole idea of politics and celebrity that might play out repeatedly over the next few election cycles? And... If so, how does that alter not only politics in this country, but governance? Think of the difficulties we've seen with celebrities or just famous people moving over to politics and trying to manage the complicated infrastructures of government. And what about Oprah Winfrey herself, one of the most dynamic entertainers in the history of America? Could she, because of the kind of celebrity she has, Could she be the kind of celebrity politician who might unite the nation and move us forward in a way that we couldn't imagine before? We want to spend the full hour today talking about Oprah, about politics, and celebrity. We're going to hear a little later from a writer for The Atlantic about the political dynamics surrounding Oprah and Trump. But first, let's get a better sense of Oprah herself, from a journalist who has some of the deepest understanding of what drives Oprah Winfrey. Jen White is a host and anchor for WBEZ, Chicago's public radio station, and she's the host of a documentary podcast called Making Oprah. Here's Jen talking to Oprah about the beginning of Winfrey's famous show. When you
1: think back to yourself sitting in Dennis's office Mm -hmm. right after that audition, Mm -hmm. and he recounts a story where he... Is telling you he wants you to come to Chicago. Yeah. And your response, you say to him, well, I'm black and I'm overweight. Yeah. And he says, well, I can see that and so am I. Yeah. What would you tell her about what Uh, was going to happen?
2: What would I tell that person? Oh, my younger self about what was going to happen? Well,
1: I, I would say that's a hard question to answer. I had no fear coming. I had no fear. I knew I was stepping into destiny in a way that I could not even explain for myself. I did not think it would become what it did. I did not think, oh, I'm going to be famous or I'm going to have a national talk show. Everybody knows that there's a time that comes in your life when where you are is no longer where you're supposed to be. And that is what I knew about Baltimore. Because for me, life has always been about growth,
0: That was Jen White, host and anchor at WBEZ, talking to Oprah Winfrey about those early moments when she took over as the host of the show that now everybody knows. So we want to talk about Oprah. We want to talk about politics. We want to talk about the future of celebrity in politics in America. And we want to hear from you this hour. Would you vote for Oprah Winfrey for president? Or are you put off by the celebritization of our presidency? Does Donald Trump bother you? Not because of the things he's doing, but because of who he is, what his background is, the fact that he's never been a politician, somebody in charge of government. And should a person have a career in politics just to even be considered for the highest office in America? Or is life experience just as valuable just as valuable think about someone like oprah winfrey think about the things that she's experienced and the things that she's done it's not as if she has no relevant experience to be a leader to be somebody who could bring us together is that enough to make her a viable candidate for president of the united states 313577 1019 is always the number on the phones to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work you into the conversation. And joining us now to kick off this conversation is Jen White. She is a host and anchor on WBEZ, Chicago's public radio station, and host of Making Oprah, the documentary podcast about Oprah Winfrey. Jen, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Hey, Stephen.
0: Yes, it's great to hear your voice. Uh, <laughs> Likewise. So I I, I want to start with uh, with just this just, just, just discussion of Oprah Winfrey, who she is, what drives her, and what you think makes her such an appealing figure in America. I mean, you think of all of the people who are on television, all the people who are in movies, it's hard to come up with a name that would rival Oprah's in terms of that popularity. Where does that all come from?
1: You know, it's interesting. In doing the documentary and talking to a lot of the producers who worked with her from the very beginning, um, of folks, folks who came on a little later, uh, the man who hired her initially, there's this this through line in how they think about her, and that's that Oprah is exactly who she is. The person she presents herself as on television is the same person she is in quote unquote real life. That's authentically her. And that authenticity is something that resonates with audiences at a really deep level. And so, I mean, of course she has her critics and and, and we can talk about that as well, but that's what they all point to as being key to why she connects so well with the television audience, um, with the cable audience, with with you know people who just like to hear her talk. Sure, it's it's that way that she presents herself as being completely real, um, and and completely present and comfortable in her own in her own skin. And it's the same way she talks about herself. Actually, she says, you know, people follow the person who feels the most like the truth to them. Huh. And at least when she was on the television show and, and launching that back in 1986, for audiences, she felt like the truth.
0: Yeah. Uh, this is also somebody whose life and life experiences, I think, lend themselves to that kind of authenticity. I mean, this is not somebody born to, to privilege. This is not somebody who had an easy time of it. Talk some about how she draws on some of those difficult things in her past to to sort of... Project that authenticity and that connection with with other people.
1: Yes, you know she's been fairly transparent with um, being raised in in less than optimal circumstances, being a victim, or rather a survivor of sexual abuse, um, and and how that shaped her early life. And I think that's part of what drove her to use the show, especially in the later years, as a platform for conversations about sexual abuse. There was the show near the end where she invited in men who had been victims of sexual abuse to have that conversation. And, you know, talking to women throughout the, the entirety of the show, that was part of it as well. Um, but I also think it's something that that Phil Donahue said, actually. We interviewed him as part of the documentary as well. And he said... The reason he thinks she was able to beat him in the ratings so quickly is because she arrived on the scene fully formed. He said, you know, when I started my show, I was he describes himself as this sort of um, middle class, liberal Catholic guy <laughs> who was, you know, kind of figuring things out on his show Learning about things he didn't really understand, you know, about feminism and and and, you know just different life experience about racism and Oprah, he said, you know, because she was a woman, because she is a woman, um, she's a black woman, she had a different set of experiences that she was able to bring to the audience and. Developed this really instantaneous um, kind of shorthand with them, you know. When she gave a little look, yes, the the women, <laughs> primarily women watching, knew what that look meant. You know, when she <laughs> when she would, there were these little winks and nods she could give from the very beginning, and women felt connected to her because they were like, "That's a woman. She gets it." And so I think all of that life experience um, and bringing it to television in the eighties. It was something women were ready for. They were looking for someone who could give them those winks and nods, someone they could connect to in a way that, you know, while Donahue was beloved, they couldn't connect to him in the same way. Um, And that was present on her show from from the very beginning. Hmm.
0: Hmm. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Jen White. She's a host and anchor at WBEZ, the public radio station in Chicago. She's also the host of a documentary podcast called Making Oprah. We are talking about Oprah Winfrey, whose moving speech at the Golden Globes on Sunday has sparked an, a very intense conversation about whether she might be a candidate for president of the United States, not by far the first celebrity to be mentioned in that context. Our president right now is someone who was a celebrity. We were talking this hour about the possibility of an Oprah candidacy and about this crossover between celebrity and politics. What does it say about our governance? What does it say about us as Americans, our appeal, the appeal that celebrities have to us to become politicians? Again, if you want to join the conversation 313-577-1019 Three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. We've already got a lot of folks who want to participate in this conversation, and that's not terribly surprising. Uh, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work you into the conversation. Um, before we get to the phones, Jen, I want to ask you about what what Oprah is passionate about, and and when I asked that. I guess what's going through my mind is something of a dichotomy that I've that I've sort of picked up on uh, with with her over the years. You know, she's incredibly empathetic, uh, and that's part of the appeal uh, that that I think she has to people. She is extremely philanthropic, right? I mean, this is somebody who uh, is very focused on doing good uh, with mm-hmm. her money. But this is also somebody who is you know sort of the ultimate capitalist i mean this is someone who has built uh, a, a very powerful uh, empire that is uh, that's made her extremely wealthy uh, but but also made her very powerful in an economic sense and and i've always seen some sort of i don't know i don't want to call it a disconnect between those two things but there's a tension there i think a natural tension uh, and i've always wondered at at, at sort of her core what is it that is is driving her? Is it this uh, this lust to control and and for power and money, or is it really the things that she does uh, that 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 are that that people consider good and and charitable?
1: Well, I'm not a psychologist, so I can't you know <laughs> get <laughs> right? into the, the inner <laughs> recesses of her brain, but I can tell you how she talks about it. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we we asked her about the consumerism piece and and you know when she would mention the title of a book suddenly you know that book would take off and be sure. a new york times bestseller yeah. and the way she talks about it is is not about she said you know i wasn't really interested in in you know selling things that really wasn't it it was just about this is something i'm interested in do I think anybody else would be interested in it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and and so you know, she said, I, I thought if if ten percent of the people who follow me will be interested in it, then you know it's worth
0: talking. But it's about. worth saying, sure.
1: Yeah, she's she's that matter of fact about it in the way she speaks about it. Um, and so, but I but I agree with you that you can't um, disconnect the the power and the wealth that was generated. Um, from that platform. And you know there are critics of hers who who point to some of the what they call pseudoscience mm-hmm. um, that was promoted on the show, um, people who are critical of some of the uh, spin-off shows that came out of the Oprah Winfrey show, the Dr. Oz show, mm-hmm. you know, Dr. Phil. Um, and I think those are are relevant and and uh, relevant critiques and things that we should certainly examine and talk about. But in how she speaks about it, it really is this matter-of-fact thing about whether or not the people who are listening and watching her would be interested in this thing that she's interested in. Right. And that's, right. you know, when you look at the history of the show and the way the show developed, um, that's, that's, that's the, the show's story as well. When it started and went national, actually, back in 1986, it was Oprah and four producers, like wow. four women wow. that that was it, right? There wasn't this huge infrastructure churning out shows. It was four women who were sitting around in this office, passing sticky notes and like, "This guy didn't call me back. <laughs> Why didn't he call me back? We should do a show about that. Like they were always talking about the things that were happening in their lives. That's how the show evolved. And so I think that's continued as, you know, part of how she promotes her brand right, and, and right. the things she chooses to promote, whether it's Weight Watchers or, you know, a, a pair of slippers or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> that's that's always been how she's approached it. I like it. Maybe somebody else will like it, too. Now, that's, again, resulted in a great deal of wealth for her. And for
0: some other folks, right? And for yeah. some <laughs> other folks, too. You know, the people who are selling those slippers aren't complaining too much. Um, you know, I also want to get you to talk just a little about race and gender as it relates to Oprah, I've always thought she's she's occupied an, an unusual space uh, on, on both accounts uh, because of, you know, in some ways some of the appeal that she has, uh, that, that, that relatability, but also because now, because of uh, the wealth and power uh, uh, that she has, uh, talk about that draw, though, uh, f- of her as a woman, of her as a black woman and how that sort of fits into Uh, the the complications of race and gender in America? Hmm, That's a big question.
1: You know, when you think about her early success in the 80s, if you look at it on paper, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Right. Um, A woman, a black woman, unseating a white man in a genre of television that he pretty much originated. He invented, right? <laughs> right, you know? Um, but where gender is concerned, I think that's a, a simpler conversation because it's about, again, women wanting to hear from and connect with another woman. But considering that Oprah's audience was largely white suburban women, uh-huh, uh-huh. I think the race piece of the conversation is a little more complex because... Is it you know the appeal of having that sort of you know hip black girlfriend? Is that it? <laughs> um, is it Is it that she was um, safe in a way um, that made her uh, compelling to white audiences? Um, and it's funny because I, I always get this question, like, why did white women love Oprah so much? Right, I'm like, right. you tell me. You you are <laughs> right. a white woman. Tell me why you what liked is her it you so see much. There? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but again, I think at the core of it, something about the authenticity and, and maybe even a desire to have conversations about. Race and racism—the way she did it on her show—made it safe um, for white audiences to, to, at least, if not participate in those conversations, at least watch them evolve yes. and listen um, in a way they couldn't before. You know, and and so I think I think the race conversation where Oprah is concerned is a very complicated one. And then you you look to the other side with with African American people uh-huh. who, you know, sometimes feel that she hasn't done enough or didn't reach out to, you know, African Americans enough. So, you, you know, you get critiques and questions from both sides. <laughs> yeah. But I think it is a complicated, a complicated issue. What I will say is after doing the documentary, the number of young black women and young black men uh, were either working in media now or starting their work in media contacted me to tell me how important she how was to them how much of
0: an inspiration she was sure yeah.
1: exactly exactly and and it's something that i talk about in the documentary about myself as well you know she arrived on television when i was about 12 years old mm-hmm. and she was a symbol for what is possible I, had, I didn't have an Oprah before I was 12, <laughs> right. even though I would, you know, sit in the mirror with my hairbrush and conduct <laughs> interviews and, you know, do whole plays. When she arrived, my mother would point to her and say, that's, you know, that's something you can do. You could be like that. that. You can be that. And so, you know, where, where race is concerned, I think there there's a complexity there, but you cannot understate the importance of, having a black woman, you know, dominating television mm-hmm. in that way in the 80s. I yeah. think she shifted the way a lot of us thought about what we could do um, and, and sort of guided us into this world of media. Had she not been there, I, I wonder what the, what the landscape what would, would look, look like
0: today. today. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine 577 on the phones. Lots of folks. Waiting to get in on this conversation. Todd in Lake Orion, you're up first on Detroit Today.
3: Thank you very much for the conversation. I think
0: it's a very interesting topic.
3: Sure. Uh, And I'm sure you've got a lot of callers. Uh, I'll try to make it quick. Uh, One of my uh, biggest uh, turnoffs of many of Mr. Trump, uh, even before he uh, ran for office, was his ego. I understand that ego and confidence go hand in hand uh, in order to achieve success. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people that agree or disagree with Mr. Trump would say one of his detracting issues or something that limits him is his ego. I see the same amount of ego in Oprah. Uh, I don't, I, it's in a different direction. I think it is more philanthropic. I think it is a little more helpful, but let's be honest. If, if you have enough of an ego that you buy a magazine, mm-hmm. you name it after yourself, start you one, put right? your own <laughs> picture on it every month. And, and and obviously, there's a market for it. There's a message. There's something there that people see, and want it and again I agree that ego and confidence are essential to success but again when you have that much ego and again you, you need to believe in yourself that that is a turnoff I mean when you when you say you know what I, I'm going to control the product from the beginning to the end I want ultimate say I want ultimate control Again, that's nice, but again, I I see in Oprah. I certainly don't know her as well as the lady you've interviewed. I I don't know her life story, but I I think her ego is tremendous, and it has certainly helped her. And does that be honest? Sometimes ego gets in the way. Yeah. Does
0: that make you less likely to support her? The idea of her as a as a politician
3: yeah, um, y- yes it does that, i mean again I, I i certainly see her success i think her background is much better than trump's from a business yeah. standpoint and really from a likability standpoint but to me you 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 rot, you reach a point of in the term i use is hubris right i mean again yeah. you, you you can be confident in yourself and you should be but when you literally believe that you that you are and she's not saying she's infallible or perfect i understand that but you do reach a certain point where you know what? Come on, you, yeah. you, you no, know, no one is infallible. No one is knows everything. No one yeah. could possibly Todd, know everything. Todd, I think and that's a. That belief a, turns people off.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting, interesting point. Uh, thanks for the call and the comments, Jen White. I'll will let you speak to that issue. Ego, right? Uh, yeah, what is I mean, the, I, how does that I mean, play think, into Oprah?
1: I think this is one of those interesting places where race and gender come into play. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Imagine this. So you are a black woman who is um, building a media empire. <laughs> <laughs> and in a time, well, 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 in a space, media has not always um, honored the image or portrayal of black people. Sure. I wonder if part of why she has controlled um, her her empire so tightly is because it is about her image. And it is, and she understands, like she really does understand how influential she was for young people. She talks about like, I know I raised a generation of, of <laughs> kids and people said, "Yep, she raised me. I would get home from school and Oprah and would be on the was TV and was that, on, was, yeah. that was what was on. And so part of what I wonder is that she, sh- the person she trusts most <laughs> with her image, with her brand is, Oprah like it's her. Right. And and putting that into someone else's hands it can be really dicey because what are they going to do with it? How is it going to be used? How is it going to be So so I I understand the critique and I think again hey anybody who's doing work at that level, anybody who's in politics, yeah, you got to have a healthy ego. But I think the control around the brand and the image largely could be about trust and and who you trust with it her her brand is so powerful it's it it could be turned to ill so quickly i think the person that she
0: trusts most with it is is herself is her yeah (laughs) yeah okay jen white uh anchor and host at wbez in chicago host of the making oprah documentary podcast thanks very much for being here on detroit absolutely steve we miss you here in michigan jen (laughs) (laughs) i miss you guys too we'll talk to you soon (laughs) up next we're going to continue to talk about oprah winfrey and politics we'll talk about what democrats are thinking when they entertain the idea of oprah as president stay with us and stay with us on the phones leslie and hazel park maggie and ypsilanti emily and troy michael and sterling heights we will get to you stay with us on detroit today
4: Your city. Your town.
3: Your voice.
4: 101.9 WDET, Detroit's public radio station.
0: You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We just spoke with Jen White, WBEZ Chicago's host of the podcast Making Oprah, about who Oprah is as a person and as a public figure. Now, we want to talk about the buzz around the idea of her running for president in 2020. What would Oprah actually be like as a candidate? And what does that buzz say about the value we put on Celebrity in politics today. Joining us now to talk about that is David A. Graham, staff writer for The Atlantic, wrote a piece this week titled, What the Oprah Boomlet Means for Democrats. Please, for the entertainer to run for president, point to a split over whether to treat Donald Trump as a dangerous anomaly or a particularly extreme Republican. David Graham, welcome to Detroit Today.
2: Thank you for having me. Yeah.
0: So uh, let's let's start with uh, just the title there of, of, of your piece. Uh, what does the Oprah boom boomlet mean for Democrats? And and talk about this dichotomy uh, that that is sort of playing out in the in the dialogue about what what to do in 2020, uh, how to treat the Trump anomaly or the Trump phenomenon, uh, and how to respond to it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Democrats have not yet settled on what they want their message to be about Trump. They know he's bad. Uh, we hear a lot of that, but you hear some people saying, you know, suggesting that, that Trump is a um, you know, the, the only president of his kind, totally out of, outside the bounds of reason. Uh, and that's one argument. The other one is, you know, uh, he's really bad, but he's just like all the other Republicans. So you see that when Republicans try to tie him to, you know, um, longstanding tax policies, in the, the GOP, for example. Uh, and, you know, you have to decide which one of those to take because it can't really be both. And that has implications for who you nominate in 2020. If you think that Trump is... Um, a terrible president, and he's a terrible president because he has no idea what he's talking about and he's never worked in politics, then you want to choose somebody who's a steady, maybe even boring, kind of generic face for the party. If, on the other hand, you think the problem with Trump is simply that he's a Republican, then why not elect your own Trump? Find right. somebody like Oprah who's a celebrity <laughs> and, and has a lot of name recognition and maybe can do the same thing he did and get elected.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and how how intensely is it your sense that that is the debate inside the, the, the party. And then uh, talk about how much Oprah's sort of uh, appearance on the scene in this conversation changed that chatter uh, this week. What was the response like?
2: I, I mean, I do think it's a pretty central conversation. And, and it's not so much being held – it's not being discussed in that way. But what you see is different parts of the party – um, taking different approaches on it. And, and you see this playing out, for example, in the debate about how much Democrats should talk about impeachment. Um, if you think Trump is a total outlier, then you're probably one of the Democrats out there saying that, that we need to start talking about impeachment and we need to start thinking about proceedings. Mm-hmm. You've got party leadership who's saying, whoa, 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 this is a dangerous political strategy. We don't want to go down that road. And we don't want to give House Republicans and Senatorial Republicans an opportunity to sort of separate themselves from Trump. And I, and I think the Oprah thing does a couple of things. I mean, one, it, it – um, well, I guess there was really one main thing, which is it, it forces that conversation right into the middle, and it makes Democrats take a position on whether they think somebody like Oprah is uh, – you know, an Oprah run would be a crazy thing that is just imitating Republicans in the worst ways, or if maybe it's a good idea after all.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today I'm on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is David Graham, staff writer for The Atlantic. Wrote a piece this week titled What the Oprah Boomlet Means for Democrats. We are talking about Oprah and the possibility that she might be a candidate for president of the United States, something that a lot of folks have been talking uh, about uh, in the wake of her Speech at the Golden Globes on Sunday. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. What do you think about the idea of Oprah as president? What do you think about the crossover between celebrity and politics? Something that's not new in America, but does seem to have been ratcheted up to a new level, especially with the election of Donald Trump as president. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Go to Twitter. And hashtag Detroit Today will work you into the conversation. Joanna on Facebook says, I think as she wants to delve into politics, she should get her feet wet with a lesser position before trying anything else. I think we've established that some sort of prior work experience is a necessary component. Uh, Charlie on Facebook says, anything to end our current nightmare. Uh, again, uh, go to Facebook and the WDET page. We'll work you in. Uh, or go to Twitter and hashtag us. Let's get back to the phones here. Uh, Emily and Troy. Emily, welcome to Detroit today.
5: Hello.
0: Hi.
5: Um, let me just say I'm a huge fan. Thank you. And I'm torn because I think, yes, the president should have experience and intelligence, unlike what we currently have today. However, you can't deny the fact that people voted for him because he's an outsider, as troubling as that may be. <laughs> that, And I do think that gerrymandering and <clears throat> there are other factors that contributed to the situation we're in right now. Yeah. Um, however, I also see Oprah as the face of America today. Mm-hmm. She represents... Um, the community and the g- geographic dynamic that is happening and changing in the population today as it is now um which I think is a good thing and I think that her experience and background is an asset her inspirational speeches are an asset we're so it would be so welcoming yeah compared so, to what we have right now and I think she could be that new day on the horizon. Emily,
0: thanks very much for the call uh, and the comments. Uh, David Graham, I'm going to ask you to compare the phenomenon of Oprah, of the way she speaks, the way she relates to people, to the most recent Democratic president, Barack Obama, somebody who didn't have a terrible amount of governing experience before he ran for president. He had been in the Senate, I think, for six years and and, uh, a state legislator before that, but but he also had this sort of magic, I guess uh, with with uh, with voters and and with with, uh, with just people that I, I think Democrats are, are looking for, whether it's celebrity or not. I mean I think uh, you, you think about what what Democrats say they're missing at the polls right now. it is that sort of draw of personality of, of for lack of a better word celebrity.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I think it's a great point. And if you think back, it, it, it's so hard to remember this, but there was a time when Obama was seen as um, maybe even a little bit stiff um, and a little bit elitist. That uh-huh,
0: uh-huh.
2: uh, He was great on, on giving a speech, but maybe not as great at dealing with people individually.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I think that impression has dispelled, but um, if you think about it, Oprah maybe has an even more natural connection with people. Uh, You know, there are millions of Americans who have never met Oprah, uh, but feel that they know her and and feel very close to her. And that's a really powerful thing. Whatever the connection people have with Trump, it's not the same as thinking that he's their pal. Um, Whereas with Oprah, people, I think, have a a very um, uh, sort of imaginary friendship relationship with her.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's go back to the phones. Michael in Sterling Heights, you're up next on Detroit Today. Hi, yes. Yeah, Um, go ahead.
6: My thing is, I don't really mind celebrity or not Uh and you know she's been successful and i know a lot of people are going to call in talking about all that success but to voters if we're going to really take it seriously about somebody being a president we want to know where they stand on single-payer health care tuition free college Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. getting out of wars net neutrality you know these are the important issues you know whether or not they made billions as a minority you know great um, whether or not they're popular on TV, great, but at the end of the day...
0: What are gonna they going to the do? Right? Yeah. yeah, Michael, thanks. Uh... I will not
6: vote for anybody, no matter what letter is next to their name, that's not for single-payer health care. <laughs> right. In fact, last time I voted against Hillary, even though I'm progressive merely because she didn't stand for those topics.
0: Yeah. Michael, I, I appreciate uh, the call and the comments there. Um, uh, David Graham, the, the, the politics of someone like Oprah, I think, is is one of the things that uh, that really complicates the picture here. I don't, I don't think a lot of people know what her politics are other than through the charitable uh, things that, that, that she does. But there are some things that suggest that she's not all that liberal. And I'm thinking here of... For instance, her support for Michelle Rhee, uh, she, that's someone she's really uh, been enthusiastic about, uh, who was the, the superintendent in, in Washington, D.C., now is running uh, an independent education organization. But, but it's closely aligned with the idea of charters, which is controversial in, in Democratic circles. There's some other things, too, with, with Oprah. I mean, we don't know where she would fit along that spectrum of Democratic politics.
2: That's exactly right. Um, you know, we know the candidates she supported in the past, but that doesn't necessarily mean that she agrees with him on everything. I think in some ways she fits the mold more of a, a kind of centrist Republican business candidate, at least in personality, the sort of person who uh, pulled themselves uh, up by their bootstraps and, and made a lot of money and then wants to enter politics after that. Really more of a model on the GOP side than you, do, you see from Democrats. Yeah. And you can imagine um, she might take some positions that, for example, the sort of ascendant Bernie Sanders wing would not support it's just so hard to know because, you know, she she hasn't had an, a, a forum or a need to lay out any kind of agenda in the past. So so it, there's a lot of speculation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, again, Michael, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Ashley on Facebook says, I don't believe for a second that Oprah is contemplating a presidential run. She's got a ton of irons in the fire with her businesses and a tentpole movie coming out soon. I'm sure she's far too smart to want this gig, uh, uh, David Graham. People said the same thing about Donald Trump uh, just a few years ago, right? As he was uh, making gestures toward, sort of, uh, you know, this idea of the crossover into politics uh, for celebrities. I think that the the calculus there looks different now because of Trump, right? I mean, I think Oprah would would think about this in different terms because she's watching someone she's known for a really long time, Donald Trump. Uh, do what he wants to do uh, as president of the United States.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the questions you have here is, does Trump's election mean that the new norm is for celebrities to run for office? Or will Trump's election ultimately make it much harder for celebrities to run for office? Because voters will um, look at Trump and say, ah, we don't want that, we don't like how that turned out. Right now, his ratings are not good, but that doesn't mean that... I I don't know whether voters would, would elect another celebrity. I think the comparison with Trump and sort of the idea that he didn't want to run is interesting. And there's a growing body of reporting that suggests he didn't necessarily intend to win. He didn't necessarily (laughs) intend to go through with it. He just kept getting further and realized, well, now I have a chance to be president. I think for a lot of people, whether they're politicians or not, the moment you realize I could be president of the United States, it becomes very hard not to follow that because it could be pretty cool to be president of the United States.
0: Yeah, yeah. And a lot of the things that you've worked on for your entire life uh, you you have a chance to to pull different levers Uh, to try to get stuff done on on those counts. Okay, David Graham, staff writer with The Atlantic, author of a piece titled What the Oprah Boomlet Means for Democrats. Thanks very much for being here on Detroit Today.
2: Thank you for having me. All
0: right. Up next, we are going to talk with uh, a historian about celebrity and politics, the overlap. Has it changed? Is it going to change even more in the future because of Donald Trump? Stay with us on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking this hour about the prospect of Oprah Winfrey running for president in 2020 as we've been talking about the buzz around Oprah 2020 this week. The issue has come up several times about the fact that celebrities running for high office is just nothing new. We've seen throughout American history big names with little to no political experience reaching those offices on the power of their name and their celebrity. But how has that dynamic changed over the years? And are we in a different era of that because of Donald Trump? We want to continue to hear from you on the phones. 313-577-1019. 313 313-577- 577 one o one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and we will try to work you into the conversation. Also joining us now to talk more about this crossover between celebrity and politics is Jeffrey Engel. He's the director of the Center for Presidential History at Southern Methodist University and author of a book called When the World Seemed New: George H. W. Bush and the End of the Cold War. Jeffrey, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hi. Good to talk to you again. Yes. Uh, so as I said in the open there, there's there's no there's no novelty, I guess, associated with this, even though we've reached, a, I think, a, a new level of the crossover with Donald Trump, Ronald Reagan, Jesse Ventura, uh, Sonny Bono. Uh, you know, there, there are lots of names of people who've done this. Uh, but 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 talk about how that dynamic works and how it may be changing now.
4: Well, I think, you know, first of all, you made a great point just a moment ago that this is something that Americans have always done. I mean, just stop and think about it for a moment. We elect people that we know, and you cannot be an, an, a complete outsider, unknown, and expect to get votes on ballots across the country. Right. And in fact, this goes back all the way, honestly, to George Washington, um, who we, of course, think about as not, as, not only the father of the country, but at the time. He was a tremendous celebrity. He was a global figure, known not only in the United States what would become the United States, but also throughout Europe. Uh, in fact, one one interesting thing to note is that people who serve with Washington, soldiers who serve with Washington in their memoirs, usually described where they were in the war not necessarily geographically, but in relation to Washington, Mm -hmm. that I was this close to Washington or Washington went by us. And that really gives you a sense of how popular he was. And every president since, of course, has been this sort of national figure. And some, I'm thinking about Theodore Roosevelt in particular, really went out of their way to cultivate uh, a celebrity image that would be useful for their political career and had political aspirations from the beginning. If we think about Teddy Roosevelt charging up San Juan Hill, for example, the reason we know he did that was because he brought his own newspaper reporter with him uh, <laughs> right, to make sure right. people knew
0: about this. That's the right. he Get the that word happened. out, right? <laughs> right. And
4: the, idea, and the idea was really for all these people to do something that would help their subsequent political career.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and l- let's talk now about Trump and how he changes that dynamic. Uh, first, uh, just the fact that he's been elected president with no prior political experience. That's historic. Uh, even Ronald Reagan who was an actor had been you know governor of California uh, and so had some idea of doing it does does the Trump era change the possibility for someone like Oprah Winfrey uh, or change the calculus for someone like Oprah Winfrey about the idea of running for president <laughs>
4: You know, I, I really think it does. And, and to go back to what I mentioned before, one of the, the key distinctions, it seems to me, is not only that Donald Trump is, of course, the first person without any government or military experience, having never held office whatsoever, to be thrust into the presidency, but every other person had at least some experience. And I think that's because every other person who was a celebrity first, like Reagan, had political aspirations and so was willing to work their way up the food chain, right. if you will, right. uh, either a senator or a governor. Uh, what we're seeing with, with Trump and then subsequently with Oprah, and I think this is the big difference that would occur in a match between them, is that neither of them has a record to run on. Right. I mean, If we actually think back on the political, which is a great thing, obviously. If we think back on the political debates between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, you could largely f- construct the following narrative of what happened, which is Trump was able to describe 30, 35 years of mistakes that she had made in office,
0: <laughs> right, right,
4: and he- and she didn't have similar material for policy decisions. He was basically a blank page that, that could be written on, and Oprah, in a sense, could 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 be the same thing. And I think that is a key difference when a person sets out their life to become president, uh, they develop a record, frankly. And and in celebrity days today, you don't need a record. You just need a a platform.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Oren on Facebook says, I personally believe that any person who aspires to be president of the United States should have have held at least some sort of political office. Cheryl on Facebook says the buzz around Oprah for president means... We're as stupid as the Republicans. Uh, Maybe uh, a little shade there being thrown from the Democratic side. Mike on Facebook says it means the Democrats have no viable candidates, something that uh, I think has also been said a couple of times even before Oprah jumped into the race. Ron on Twitter says when was last time a true expert in an applicable field was elected president. Examples might be an acclaimed professor of political science or an expert historian. We need to support and endorse the educated versus simply the popular or the manipulative. Again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Maggie in Ypsilanti. Maggie, welcome to Detroit today.
6: Hi, thank you for taking my call. Sure. So like most of the other callers, I'm just frustrated that being rich, powerful, famous, and yes, she's empathetic as qualifications for president of the United States. Um, if her if she did run and her policies were liberal enough, what I vote for her? probably, but I would much prefer someone like Michelle Obama with a law degree and experience and knowledge of <laughs> yeah. government.
0: Yeah, no, Maggie, that's a great point. Um, thanks for, for for calling and making it, Jeffrey Engel. Uh, when when's the last time we had a president who was? Uh, accomplished in that way I mean Barack Obama Was a law professor Well oh, yeah but I think uh, Barack
4: Obama In fact I think it, it, What's really interesting to me Is if you go back And look just in recent history Let's say from Reagan on um, th- There have been basically Two separate types of candidates That each of the parties Have put up And these are We're dealing with small numbers Of course because mm-hmm. You know There's a small sample size But if you think about the, the, the Just think about the meeting That Donald Trump had The other day That of course He allowed television cameras in And so we all saw it Right picture that meeting with barack obama or with bill clinton one thing about barack obama or bill clinton is that they entered every single meeting thinking that they were probably going to be the smartest person in the room
0: sure sure.
4: and other people in the room entered the meeting thinking the president was going to be the smartest person in the room (laughs) i am quite sure that ronald reagan and george hw bush and george bush didn't enter meetings thinking that they were the smartest person in the room. And frankly, nobody expected them to be. They were there in essence for other reasons, for their experience, for their judgment. Um, they, you know, in, in Bush's – the first Bush's case where was incredible long track record as a, as a public, public servant. So there is something new going on here and that people typically uh, – for Democrats – choose experts for Republicans choose somebody with high moral character and high experience. And again, that, that really tells us uh, again, just uh, to reinforce the point that Donald Trump is a new phenomenon in American history.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Robert in Detroit, Robert, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, how are you? Um, I'm just
3: listening to this and I'm thinking about cult of personality, whether it's Donald Trump or Barack Obama or Oprah. And I'm wondering, you know, Donald Trump tapped into something where people felt like he was listening to them and they went out and they voted for him. And they're kind of fanatical, like, you know, Tea Party voters who, you know, you have unemployed people who want jobs and they're not marching in the streets, but you have um, people who want a tax cut and they're marching in the streets. And I look at someone like Oprah and I think she and both, both she and Barack Obama kind of failed because they can't motivate people to vote in midterm elections. And so, you know, is it just the personality or is it about getting something done?
0: Yeah, uh, th- th- that's a great question, Robert. Uh, and, and I think that's uh, that's sort of the key question with regard to the 2020 elections. You know, uh, this idea that people are frustrated, th- uh, that they want something different or, or more. How does that translate into the person that you choose uh jeffrey engel uh, we've only got about a minute and a half left but uh you know this idea that celebrity is a potential solve for the problems that you know i i experience over my kitchen table is sort of a weird phenomenon i mean uh, and that's a little different i think than, than i, think, what it's, people yeah, are I doing. think
4: it's very different and and i i uh, first of all let me just be very frank i i, I think hope for president is a terrible idea because i would like somebody who actually has experience <laughs> um, and but one of the reasons for that is that traditionally americans you could say most of the time not always but most of the time as a general rule vote in a president who is the opposite of the outgoing president. Yes. You know, you essentially, if you, if you have somebody who is a technocrat, Seesaw, you I mean, get somebody who is more of a populist and yeah. so on and so forth. So I think you can make a very strong case that the person who is most likely to emerge from a Democratic primary and be a successful challenger to Donald Trump would be somebody who is quiet, uh, somebody who doesn't speak, sure. somebody who doesn't make p- emotional and, and, and racial and political gaffes, somebody who doesn't essentially cause celebrity moment, somebody who you wouldn't see on TMZ. You know, and, and that's exactly what people might choose if they if they grow tired of the celebrity president as, as Trump.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, Jeffrey Engel, director of the Center for Presidential History at Southern Methodist University, author of the book, When the World Seemed New, George H.W. Bush and the End of the Cold War. Thanks, as always, for being here on Detroit Today.
4: Oh, wonderful to talk to
0: you again. Yep. All right, that's going to do it for me today. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will too. This is WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.